0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin.
0: And I'm Tim Borden. And we have something a bit different today, but I think something you're really going to enjoy.
1: Yeah, our guest today is a professional athlete from a completely different sport. Um, She, well, she has a connection to horses from her childhood. Uh, Horse sports are not really her area of expertise, but we thought it'd be really fun to hear from a professional athlete who's been um, really at the top of her sport for, you know, a long time now, several years and, um, is, is really in it and, and to talk about some of the the same things that we, you know, think about and talk about when we're, when we're looking at managing equine athletes. And I think her perspective, um, was really refreshing, uh, and also had a lot of really, um, clear ties to, to equine athletes as well.
0: Julie Ann Stalley is a professional athlete from Lucknow, Ontario, Canada, who represents Team Canada and Team New Balance Boston. She has made 10 national teams, including the 2021 Olympic Games, 2022 World Indoor Championships, 2022 Commonwealth Games, and 2023 World Cross Country, World Outdoor, and upcoming World Road Championships. She received her bachelor's and master's in kinesiology and health studies from Queen's University, specializing in sports psychology. She also completed her teaching degree at Western with the goal of working with varsity student-athletes. Julianne is currently based in Boston, preparing for the 2024 Paris Olympics. Hi, Julianne, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: So uh, we know that you're really busy down in Boston. Uh, Training, I'm sure, takes up a bunch of time, so we'll dive right in here. You competed in, in the Tokyo Olympics and recently ran at the World Championships in Budapest. Um stress leading up to and during these major championships is felt by most athletes and and specifically we're talking about like that mental stress. Can you speak to your own experiences and some helpful strategies that you would use to stay to stay focused as you're going into these really important competitions?
2: Definitely. Um yeah, I mean the mental aspect of sport is huge, often overlooked and under understood, um misunderstood a lot of the time as well. So I think for me, um over the last decade of of running and you know being at the national level, I made my first um, Canadian team in in 2014. So there's been you know a lot of growth during that time, and I think I always come back to this sort of motto of just you know healthy, happy, and then running fast. And you know that that health aspect you know it involves physical and and emotional, mental, everything, social, um, and around big competitions, big performances, um, you know, it can exasperate any issues or, you know, in terms of just where you are uh, mentally and it challenges that. So it, it requires you to be in your best form physically, mentally. And I think... Um, for athletes being on all the time, consistently over several years between Olympic cycles, that stress compounded is, is where you you start to see these kind of ebbs and flows and, you know, issues. So um, obviously for the Olympics, making my debut world championships this summer, also my first um, experience there, it's, you know, it, there's always new, um, you know, challenges, but I think it's, it's just, you know, making sure that you're, you're centered um, and surrounding yourself with the right people. So coaches, teammates, staff, um, all of those individuals make up sort of this performance. And, Um, sometimes I kind of joke, but it it almost takes the stress off you when you have people who are in your corner and, you know, I'm just, I'm just the one who's, you know, performing on the day, but it's, it's this, um, culmination of all the work everyone else has put in. So my, you know, coach writing the strength program, my sports psych, you know, putting me in the right state of mind, strength trainer in the gym, you know, fine tuning the details. Um, technically my job is kind of easy. You know, I just, get
1: on the start line so um yeah that's really fascinating and i i uh, my wheels are are turning and in, in thinking about um you know how this translates to the horses and the human athletes um that we're more familiar with and um i think it's it's absolutely the same so really really interesting to hear um as an athlete transitioning from being an amateur to a professional obviously the sport changes and and there becomes this massive business side that needs to be navigated as well. I'm curious to know how you strategize for balancing training and all the extra commitments that come along with being a professional athlete. Um, and and if you feel like it's best to partition your day into like training versus other commitments or or do you need to just kind of accept the chaos and, and embrace it to some extent or or do you have, you know, strategies that have worked for you?
2: That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I think just kind of starting off, prefacing that with, you know, no one teaches you how to be a business person. No one teaches you how to run, you know, a social media account or, you know, your website or blog posts or you know, whatever it is that you're engaging with. Um, and then you have these relationships with, you know, sponsorships and um different partners and you know, working with your agent and um, you know, kind of navigating that that business side of it, um, you are sort of this, you know, entity in terms of branding and, you know, endorsements and deals and this whole image that you're creating in terms of, you know, more than just being the athlete, but this whole persona. So I think, um, I mean, 2021, I signed my first, you know, professional deal uh, with New Balance. And that's sort of when things um, took off, you know, post-Olympics. Um, and, I think um, for me, a uh, big lesson, but I think building good relationships, you know, regardless of you know, what company or business that you're working with, small scale, large scale, um, for me it matters most, you know, the people behind that. And do you have some sort of actual, you know, relationship, some sort of mutual ground that you're working from, as opposed to just, you know, this quick, um, you know deal that, you know, has no real merit. So I think it it needs to resonate with you. You have to resonate with them. Um, Otherwise it's not worth anybody's time. Um, And then secondly, I think finding things that bring meaning value that are close to home. Um, I recently signed with Robinson's Maple Syrup. Um, They're around the corner from where I grew up. I run by the Sugar Shack um, regularly, you know, so this is the same route that I've been doing over the years. Um, you know, a family-owned and operated business, um, mind you. They're they're worldwide. Um, I believe they supplied to Japan, which was kind of neat as well, um, having run the Olympics there. But it's it's those kind of partnerships that, for me, you know, beyond just the fiscal value, it's it's that's what's meaningful. And I think, you know, from that business perspective, as I said, you know, you're not necessarily trained in that. I didn't go to school with an MBA. So, um, you're relying on a lot of different people to give you good advice. So, um, I definitely, you know, lean on in terms of my, my agent and athlete representative and kind of working with them.
0: Perfect. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up, uh, <laughs> brought up the maple syrup. I was telling Nicole, uh, when we were together, uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in Europe that, uh, that's kind of how I came across you and I, I'm a big sugar guy. So, uh, pretty much my instagram is just following athletes and then uh, different uh, sweets companies so yeah cool. It's, it's cool to see but but i think you raise a really interesting point um there because in equestrian sport it's for sure expensive to do like there's no getting around that like there's a huge um there's huge overheads to it and like just the cost of purchasing like the top horses and stuff and i think a lot of riders end up in these situations where and, and, you know, like I don't obviously want to name names or whatever, but I think a lot of times people end up in situations where money is king and the relationships are very much so second and they end up in situations where you just go to the whoever will give you the most money in a short amount of time and you end up sort of having to take um, abuse isn't the right word, but like you may not enjoy those interactions. You may not enjoy working for those people, but it's like, you you see that, that check at the end of the day, or you see that money. And it's, it's interesting to think about like, what is the cost of that from your performance side though? Right? Like, yeah, you may be able to get to 10% more, more money coming in from working with this particular sponsor or having this particular relationship. Mm -hmm. But if it's something where like mentally, like you dread having to pick up the phone and call them to give them updates, or you mentally, uh, you know, it keeps you up at night, certain different types of things. Like, are you taking a 10% gain in maybe financing and maybe losing 30 or 40% uh, in performance? And and it's an interesting balance. It sounds like for you, it really comes down to mentally being in the right spot, like being happy with those connections. And then everything else comes secondary to that. Like, is that fair?
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not in the sport to get rich. So starting off with that, I think it's just, you know, you recognize that as an athlete, there's you know, you're putting a career on hold usually to pursue these dreams. So it's that value right there. That's already sort of the, you know, navigating that piece. Um, And I think, yeah, when you're signing a, a deal, a sponsorship, for us, it's shoe deals that are your main contract and source of income. What else, you know, plays into that? And for me, the big factors were the team, the coach, the environment, being in Boston. You know, is that going to be conducive to me being, you know happy and, and enjoying the experience that to me matters so much more. And I realize, you know, I have, I'm fortunate to say that. And for a lot of people, they don't have the privilege to, you know, choose a situation that's going to be the best for them as opposed to make, you know, making sure they they have enough income. So it, there's, there's so many things that you have to play in, but I do hope people, you know, always consider that is, um, you know, the money really it it doesn't matter. You know, there's a, there's a baseline, but I do think like beyond that, um, you know, it's it's far more important to to be in a good position.
0: For sure, for sure and I I think that's a really important point. Um, another thing I w- I want to to pick your brain on, like so I'll be fascinated to hear your your take on this. There's a quote that I love from Emily Dickinson and the quote is, if you take care of the small things, the big things can take care of themselves uh for the training i personally really love this quote cuz i think it it focuses on being disciplined and t- taking care of what's in your control um but i i'd be curious to hear your thoughts especially as someone who is going to olympics and world championships like how much or how tempting is it to sometimes get focused on those like really big goals in the future those big championships and to maybe get distracted from uh you know, the daily grind, so to speak. And like, how do you balance, balance that?
2: Yeah, I love, love that quote. I think that's sort of, it speaks a lot to just this entire season, 2023. Um, nothing went in terms of, you know, according to plan, um, certainly didn't come easy in terms of, you know, performance and and making those world championships. Um, but when I think back to the day to day, as you said, like, you know, what can I control in this moment? And it's, you know, cliche. I think it's it's said so many times. You know, just focus on sort of what's in front of you, and it can be difficult because sometimes those little things can be big things. You know, just getting out of bed sometimes, and you know, like oh, I gotta go, you know do this run. It's it's a small thing on the big scale, but sometimes those things can even just feel um, you know difficult. So um, always that perspective. You know, zooming in, zooming out, finding you know that shift in terms of you know is this going to impact me later on? You know, is this little issue, you know, going to to create something, you know, bigger ripple effect? And then, you know, dealing with that at the moment and, you know, coping mechanisms and strategies, all of that. But, you know, those big goals, when I think about, you know, these Olympic cycles and those are sort of this, like, you know, that's your guiding piece. That's your kind of like big star. And then from there, it's, you know, you break it down from months to weeks Um, You periodize that training and the day to day, you know, good habits, getting into those routines. Those are the small pieces and um, truly it's all you can take care of. I think the outcome is largely out of your control. Um, I think about all the luck and good fortune that has played into making a team because you see athletes who don't make the teams, who did everything right. So I think it's a reminder that you're in this because you, you buy into the process and you're enjoying that journey um, regardless of what happens. So it can definitely be really difficult. And I think it just comes back to, you know, no matter if it happens or if it doesn't, you're going to be okay. You know, it's, you're still in this because, you know, this is what you want to be doing. So.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's so wonderful to hear. And, um, you know, in, in the context again of, of equine athletes and this sort of partnership um, where certain things can be a little bit magnified just because you're dealing with a, a large animal. And so things like travel and, and, and a new environment, uh, like at Olympics or like a world championship that just has such a different atmosphere, um, for the horses coming back to all of those important things and reminding yourself, um, that of what you can control and what's gotten you there. And that there are people that, did everything right too, that are not there. And, and so to, you know, take, take advantage of, of where you are and, and just focus on the little things instead of, you know, getting so caught up in, in the other things, um, that can very easily, um, I think interfere with, with performance. So that's really, really interesting. Yeah.
2: Luckily (laughs) I I don't deal with a horse. Like I am a horse, (laughs) So the variable there in terms of controlling factors, I mean, unless my shoes come untied, usually it's on me. So I think for, you know, equestrian athletes, that's, that's a whole other, you know, discipline that I have no knowledge on, but I can only imagine, you know, frustration is, you know, when it's not working and it's, you know, there's something in terms of having that animal and, you know, being able to have that sort of, um, you know, relationship, I guess, in a sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would I would argue, though, that it comes back to a lot of the things that you've already touched on the team around you, um, how well you guys know each other, how much you can trust in the work that each person, each horse, each, you know, each part of the team is is putting in. Um, And again, focusing on the small things that you can control, you can control. Um, You know, it's much harder for a horse to uh, be transported from North America to Tokyo than it is for a human. It's not a fun process for a human, but definitely harder on a horse so um that's not within your control but knowing what relaxes your horse what helps them recover um you know how to how to have them in the best shape for that for that that journey and and trusting you know the people the people around you i think that's it just comes back to the same things really um so along that line um there, it's always an interesting conversation that we have around the balance between training and recovery. And especially when it comes to, you know, traveling <laughs> around the world for um, big competitions and things that can be really complicated. Um, what does a typical training week look like? And and what rec- recovery modalities do you find are the most important for you?
2: Yeah, so typical week for me, um, kind of more in the off-season builds when you're racing. Um, you're often kind of reducing and tapering your training just to be performing. But I, I would say right now, uh, a typical week um, will be between um, 70 to 80 miles, 120 to 130K um, of running. And that's over seven days. Um, four days a week, I'll be doing two sessions. So morning, evening, um, usually between an hour and a half hour a half in the morning, and then, you know, another half hour in the evening. Um, so that's, you know, your Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then between, you know, your big workout days, which for us are Tuesdays and Fridays, whether it be, you know, workout on the track hills, um, some sort of fart or, you know, threshold session, um, we'll supplement the days between with just recovery, easy running, which it's still an hour, it's something aerobic, but Um, in terms of the intensity, it would be moderate. Um, Sundays are long runs, so sort of almost a religious practice, but it's something in the week that, you know, it's just a long sustained effort. Um, And then usually, you know, Saturdays are a little bit easier, um, as well as Wednesdays, just in terms of volume. Um, So that's, that's the, that's the bulk that would be, you know, 70% of my training running focused. Um, Then the other 30% made up of, um, strength training, physio treatment, and the recovery piece, uh, not including sleep, because then that would be, you know, much bigger <laughs> in terms of hours spent in my bed. Um, but yeah, so the gym session, I'm doing two strength training sessions a week um, and three to four sort of small, more physio um, mobility oriented um, practices. And then, um, yeah, I, I would say monthly to bi-monthly um sorry, weekly to bi-monthly um massage is is something I've sort of been routinely um putting in place just because of um you know keeping injuries at bay. I think always being proactive. Um, you know, it's the better strategy than trying to manage, you know, little fires as the as the season builds. So um luckily we have those resources here in Boston. Um so that's been a big part of just recovery and then rest i think it's really difficult because you know you're you're running hard you know you're doing these sessions and then you just kind of feel lazy you're just you know sitting around and um you know when you surround yourself with people that do that it seems normal but then i go home and i realize like my life is really not normal <laughs> um you know and it, it it definitely you have to say no to a lot of activities that you wish you could do but um, for us you know making sure that our legs can recover and just I think it's mind and body especially um you know even if you're lying in bed but you're just scrolling through Instagram and you're just you know constantly busy you're not giving yourself the rest that you need so um you know eight to nine hours of sleep, um, minimum I would say you know eight but that's that's absolutely key and I think you know if, if you're not looking after the recovery piece the training is almost. Um insignificant. So a lot of the work happens while you're sleeping in terms of, you know, adaptations. So that's really important.
1: Yeah, I just want to uh just circle back and, and highlight a point that I think you made really nicely that there's a difference between active recovery and rest. Um, and so that's something, you know, Tim and I were just at a conference and and that was a, a question that was raised. Um when uh, Tim shared uh, some research that showed that high level, high performance equine athletes uh, were spending just enormous amount amount of hours, um, mostly like in a stall or a box, um, and not really having much movement. Obviously, they can walk around a bit, and they're eating and they're drinking. Um, but, um, you know, horses <laughs> compared to human athletes, they're, they're actually meant to be moving constantly. Um, and so rest and recovery for an athlete, whether they're, you know, human or, or equine, um, there there's different, different types. And I think that you illustrated that really nicely.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, um, you know, active recovery is, is really, it's the harder part because just lying in bed or putting your legs up um you know sometimes that's not always effective so there's lots of tools and Norma Tech boots and all these like really you know um expensive modalities but if if someone asks me usually you know things that are you know take a little bit of work in terms of foam rolling and that massage treatment and sometimes like going for a walk if it's blood flow you know those are are going to be just as effective um, you know, ice baths contrast. It's, you know, it's the stuff that is not necessarily fun, Um, but it it makes a difference in the long run.
0: And just going off of that, when you like every day you put your shoes on and you're going to go out for whatever volume you're running, do you try to make it so that you f- usually feel pretty good at the start? Like, so you're, you don't really have like any soreness or any muscle or are there times during that especially probably during the off season where you are a bit sore from the previous day's workout and you're still going out and going like, I'm curious to to know. Cause I think like more on the sprint side is more what I'm familiar with, but I, I think like the tendency now versus maybe 30, 40 years ago is you don't ever want an athlete to be going out and like, giving high intensity efforts when they're a little bit sore, but like, how does it work for like you with the endurance people? Cause you, you have to have so much volume. It's probably hard to ever get completely completely feeling good.
2: Yeah, I I think considering time of season, um where you are at in the year, what competitions are coming up, um that sort of dictates, you know, what's I guess acceptable in terms of capacity and and how you feel. Um injury wise, I would say, you know, if something's bothering you, if something's hurting, it's, you know, you got to you got to step back because I've never had a scenario where you push through and then it, the, you know, the result is actually, it ends up. Okay. Usually you're always, you're moving backwards, even though it feels like you want to progress, um, fatigue, general muscle soreness. Um, I think the mental aspect too, has to be you know, taken into account. You know, what are you bringing on that training day in terms of, you know, that battery, like where, where are you? And, um, distance is, you know, the volume itself. Um, they the training effect, you know, you have to be able to sustain continuous days. Um, and not feeling good is actually, um, you know, you're getting that adaptation, your body's kind of telling you, you know, okay, you stressed me, and then you know, you're recovering, you come back the next day, you're probably not going to feel maybe as good after a big session. Um, but that piece there is what it's going to get you to the next little, you know, step in terms of the overall fitness. So definitely important to be able to, you know, build that that training. Um you can't always feel good. <laughs> if you did, you're probably not going hard enough. Um and then the last thing I'll say is just in terms of competition, um you know, going into that in terms of readiness I've had a few experiences where an injury has flared up. You have a big race, you have to make that decision and it's always going to be difficult because from the athlete standpoint, you you want to race. There's no question. So, you know, talking to professionals, um, that's what the doctors are for, you know, your coach, everyone getting a really, um, unbiased objective opinion in terms of what is safe. I think that's number one. You have to make sure the athlete's safe. Um, but if it is the Olympics, um, you see it all the time, you know, you're, you're willing to do whatever to get onto that start line. So, A lot of factors to take into consideration. Um, the more elite you get, obviously, that responsibility becomes yours. But I would say definitely for, you know, younger athletes, more recreational, um, it's it's never worth pushing through something.
0: Perfect. No, I think that those are are really good guidelines for for everyone listening. So it it applies so much to the horse, especially when they can't communicate back, right? To have a really good sort of benchmark of where they are at and to put that into context with the bigger picture. Um, You know, we've had a a good conversation so far. We've taken up a decent amount amount of your time. You probably, you probably want to go and uh, work on your recovery. Um, So our very last question, and we ask this to, to all of our guests and it's a little bit uh, outside of the box, but if you could speak directly to a horse and that horse could understand you, what would you want to tell them?
2: Oh, man. <laughs> don't don't step on me um i did <laughs> riding. we had horses growing up to be honest it, i think it broke my dad's heart but i just never enjoyed it because i was too nervous around the animals so um you know i'm familiar in terms of horses but i think um yeah wow i mean a race horse that's a totally different you know animal and i think you know if you could tell it something it's just I guess from the athlete perspective, I would say, you know, you can trust me. Um, you know, that's, that's what I'd want the animal to know is just, I have your best interest. Um, you know, you're kind of in it together.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I think that's a, a good sentiment. And it's sort of shone through it at a bunch of different points, of this conversation, the way you've been talking about, it. like it really does come down to the athlete, the like horse or human, like their, their interests have to come first. Right. We, we are stewards of their careers and their lives uh if you are someone who makes a decision so um like that really needs to be first and then i think you said it earlier like if they're happy and healthy then the results kind of in a way take care of themselves right like if you have those two factors in place you'll probably you're in a you're much more likely to reach the athlete's potential than if there's an issue with one of those pieces so I think this has been great. Uh, Again, want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I I know you're busy and you've got a lot on the go, so we really, really appreciate this.
2: This is this a lot of fun. It's exciting to get outside of just the running world as well.
0: That was a a really good conversation. I really enjoyed uh, Julianne's perspective. It's it's always nice to take a bit of a step back and to get to learn more about how other sports do it. I don't know so much about more of the endurance world, so just fascinating to hear her take on it to hear her talking a little bit about her program uh just the immense volume that she does like the the sheer number of hours uh that she's training week in a week out especially in the off season is is really impressive it's uh there's only a small proportion of people in the world who can handle such a workload so it's really cool to hear about that and then i think just some of the messaging she gave about the importance of being happy and enjoying the enjoying the job and obviously there are days where i'm sure she doesn't you know want to do a certain workout or or whatever but like just enjoying the process overall and appreciating the importance of doing some of these smaller work or some of these workouts that uh at the time may seem monumental but when you place it in the bigger uh, scheme of things they're relatively small but they build up and they add up just like building blocks and then you create something really special Uh, at the end of the season or or leading into a championship. And then, uh, of course, a little bit of a discussion about maple syrup as well, which is, uh, you know, something that's very meaningful to me. Canada is uh, the world's leading uh, producer of maple syrup. And, uh, you know, I always enjoy having the opportunity to talk about that particular product.
1: Um, Tim will soon be launching his maple syrup podcast. So stay tuned for that. I also just wanted to mention that Julianne made a reference to periodization when she was talking about her training um, and and how she approaches it. We actually have a great video about periodization that is in our sport horse series library, so I would really recommend everybody going and checking that out. It's um, a really important concept in sports science and training uh, that you know is widely adopted by high level athletes like Julianne, and and I think worth getting an understanding of so definitely go and check that out that's a wrap for today's episode as always you can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com you can also follow us on instagram and facebook at sport horse series make sure to also follow us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode if you leave a review, we greatly appreciate it. Five stars all around. <laughs> um, as always, you can also find all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. Thank you again to Hilltop Bio for sponsoring this episode. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy.